What do I want to talk about today? Yay, here comes Amos. Now, Amos Moses was a Cajun. He lived by himself in the swamp. He hunted alligators for a living. He'd knock them in the head with the stump. The Louisiana law going to get you, Amos. It ain't legal hunting alligators in the swamp, boy. <laughs> now, how many of you remember that, that song by Jerry Reed? I knew, that, I knew there were some other rednecks out there. I'm, I'm not alone here. Anyway, I bring that up because today I really do want to talk about Amos. Not Amos Moses, just Amos the prophet, who was not actually a prophet. In verse 1, in chapter 1, verse 1, he describes himself as a shepherd of Tekoa. And in chapter 7 and verses 14, he says that he, he was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son. But then he goes on to describe who he really was. He said, but I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sycamore fig trees. So he basically was a shepherd and a farmer. However, he was no ordinary farmer, as we can tell by his writings. He was obviously well-educated. He lived in Tekoa in the highlands of Judah. But he did have a prophetic message that was to be delivered to the nation of Israel. He gave significant indications of his time frame because he mentions the kings of Israel, Jeroboam II and Judah, Uzziah, at the time of his preaching. He also mentions in chapter 1 and in verse 1 that he preached two years prior to an earthquake, which scientific evidence points to the quake being in the mid-8th century B.C. So it is assumed that he preached at approximately 760 B.C. His preaching was at a period of time when the dominant empires, the dominant empires of Babylon and Egypt, Assyria, were relatively weak, which allowed Israel and Judah to enjoy relative prosperity, which in all too many cases... <laughs> led them to become morally and spiritually godless and corrupt. So now we know who Amos is. What did he preach? What was his message for Israel? And what, what does that matter to us today? Like most of the prophets, he had a message of destruction for the nation, for not keeping the laws and the ordinances of God. And in all cases, the message they carried from God came to pass. So what does that have to do with us today? As in most cases, <laughs> these messages had a current fulfillment, but they also had a warning for a latter-day fulfillment, which would affect us. Notice that like other prophets, Amos refers to the day of the Lord, an event mentioned not only by other prophets, but it's also mentioned in the book of Revelation, a time when God will actually intervene in the affairs of men to bring real repentance to a 
defiant world. A world that just refuses to see that God's way of life brings love and peace and harmony. So let's turn to Amos 5, Amos 5, and let's begin reading in verse 18. He says, to those desiring, desiring the day of the Lord. What is this for you? And then he goes on to explain the day of the Lord is darkness and not light. Not something to look forward to. And in verse 19, he says, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Run away from one, can't get away from the other. Or he went into the house and he leaned his hand on the wall and a snake bit him. Not a very pleasant thought. Now notice in verse 20, notice in verse 20. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Even very dark and no brightness in it. Do you think God approves of our holidays today and assembling on Sunday instead of the Sabbath day? Notice in verse 21. Notice in verse 21, very significant here. I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will take no delight in your solemn assemblies. So, Brother Amos had a message for us as well today. If, if we continue to do the same foolish things that bring destruction to the nations of old, they brought destructions to the nations of old. Amos paints a terrible picture of the results of spiritual blindness that had infected Israel. Amos was sent to Israel to denounce their terrible social and religious corruption. They did not repent, and as a result, Just a few decades later, they were invaded and they were destroyed by the king of Assyria. Let's take a look at a few of God's accusations against Israel. Number one, they were corrupt. Even though God blessed them, even though he blessed them, they were corrupt. Notice in chapter 1 and in verse 10, Chapter 1 and verse 10, when God told them, what God told them. He said, I brought you up from the land of Egypt, and I led you 40 years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. Now drop down to chapter 3. Drop down to chapter 3 and verse 1 of chapter 3. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you children of Israel against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families on the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. God makes it clear in verse 3 that they were not doing his will when he says, Can two walk together unless they be agreed? The greedy and the rich 
oppress the poor. They oppress the poor. Let me just hit on a few of the scriptures addressing this issue. This is one of their evils. In chapter 2, in chapter 2 and in verse 6, again, that's chapter 2 and verse 6, it says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel, yea, for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Because they sold the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. Now drop down, drop down to chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 1. This is an example of the things that they were doing. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, hear this word, cows of Basham, who are in the mountains of Samaria, who oppresses the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their husbands, bring in wine that we may drink. Now drop down to chapter 5. Drop down, drop, move over to chapter 5 and verse 11. Chapter 5 and verse 11. He says, therefore, because of your trampling upon the poor and because you take tribute of grain from them, though you have planted desirable vineyards, you shall not drink wine from them. We could also turn to chapter 6 and verse 4 or chapter 8 and verse 4 for, for other examples of what was taking place. Because of time limitations, I won't do that. Just suffice it to say that they were not kind to the poor. The third thing, their justice system was corrupt and depraved. Sure, sounds familiar, familiar to what's taking place in my own nation today. But turn to chapter 5 and verse 10. Chapter 5 and verse 10. They hate him who rebukes in the gate, and they despise him who speaks uprightly. Now drop down to verse 12. Drop down to verse 12. For I know your many transgressions and your many sins. They afflict the just, they take a bribe, and they turn aside the poor in the gate. Therefore, the prudent shall say, shall keep silent in that time, for it is an evil time. Verse 14 says, seek good and not evil that you may live, and so that the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as you have spoken. And he tells them, he goes on in verse 15, he tells them, hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Surely we, we don't need to reward the evil instead of the just today. This could be a warning for our nations of today. Fourth, like many today, like many today, they practiced dishonest business dealings. They were corrupt. Chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 5, it says, saying, when will the new moon be gone so that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath 
that we may set forth wheat, making the epoph small and the shekel great, and perverting the balances of deceit. Corrupt businesses, corrupt money, handling of money. And fifth, finally, fifth, their worship services were nothing but empty ritual. That's all they were, empty ritual. Again, sounds familiar to today in, in many ways. Let's go back to chapter 5 again in verse 21. Chapter 5, verse 21, that I started earlier. He says, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard the peace offerings of your fat animals. Take the noise of your songs away from me. I don't want to hear them. I don't want to hear them. For I will not hear the melody of your harps, but let the judgment roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Have you offered sacrifices and offerings to me 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? But now you have carried the tabernacle of your Molech and your Chiam, your images, the store of your gods, which you made for yourselves. So then he goes on to tell them, so I will cause you to go into exile beyond Damascus says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. All this corruption, where does it lead? This is what the prophet was telling them. God uses punishments to bring repentance for his people. Just as we, as parents of our own children, we correct our children, and we do it to change their behavior. Amos spells out these punishments in chapter 4 and note that these are the same type of punishments described by Jesus Christ in Matthew 24 and again in the book of Revelation. In chapter 4 and beginning in verse 6, we see famine. We see famine. And I also have given you Cleanness of teeth, meaning your teeth aren't going to get dirty if you don't eat in all your cities. In other words, obviously, no no food to spoil the teeth. And he also says, and a lack of bread in all your places. Did it work? No. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. These are lessons for us today. Are we going to imitate what ancient Israel did without any punishment? Next, notice how God controls the weather as he brings about drought in verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8, where he says, And I have also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest, and I caused I caused." rain to fall on one city and caused it not to rain on another city. So one field was rained on and the field on which it did not rain 
dried up. So two or three cities wandered to one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. He punishes, they did not return. Now in verse 9, he also describes the destruction of the crops. Verse 9, I have stricken you with blasting and mildew when your gardens and vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased, the creeping locusts devoured them. They devoured them. And notice once again, yet you have not returned to me, says, says the Lord. Now, in verse 10, he goes on to describe disease epidemics and defeat in battle. Continuing on, verse 10, I have sent the plague among you after the manner of Egypt, same way I punished Egypt. I have slain your young men with the sword and have taken away your horses, and I have made the stench of your camps to come up into your nostrils. But once again, notice, notice once again, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Finally, finally in verse 11, he talks about fiery destruction as that similar to what they had in Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, I have overthrown some among you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were like a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet still, yet you, you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Notice that Israel was warned by God in Ezekiel what would happen to them if they turned away from him. He was warned by Ezekiel in Ezekiel 6, in Ezekiel 6 and verse 3. It says, mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains and to the hills and to the rivers and to the valleys. He says, Behold, I, even I, will bring a sword upon you and will destroy your high places. Now drop down, drop, drop down to verse 6, where it says in verse 6, In all the places where you live, the cities shall be laid waste, and the high places shall be desolate, so that your altars may be laid waste and become desolate and your idols may be broken and cease, and your, your incense altars may be cut down, and your works may be abolished. Do the nations of Israel ever learn, ever learn, that they cannot continue to defy God without some form of correction? Doesn't seem so. Now, many of, many of these events recorded by the prophets of old have actually occurred. However, they're also a warning for our modern nations not to go down the same path that caused these events in the first place. I don't believe that the same God that corrected ancient Israel is oblivious to the sins of our modern-day nations. 
It's hard for me to understand, but the sins that were considered terrible when I was a child, terrible when I was a child, are commonplace and acceptable today. And our worship of God as a way of life has rapidly declined. Do we read these ancient prophets like Amos as just a lesson of history? Or do we realize that it is a prophetic warning for us today? Israel was destroyed just as Amos warned in 722 B.C. But the authors of the New Testament give warnings of similar future events without repentance today. So what should be our reaction to Amos and the other prophets? Notice the warning. God gives to Israel in Amos 5, in Amos 5 and in verse 1. He says, hear this word, I take up against you even a lamentation, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel has fallen. She shall rise no more. She lies forsaken on her land. There is none to rise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that went out by a thousand shall leave a hundred, and that which went out by a hundred shall have ten left in the house of Israel. That's a pretty dire warning. Just as Amos gave us warning to Israel, we as individuals as well as collectively as a church body, we have a responsibility to warn the world of these coming events if, if we continue on our path away from God, which certainly doesn't seem to be changing anytime in the near future. The churches of God today, and that includes all of us, you and I, have a responsibility to warn the world of the coming events without repentance. Notice, notice what comes with that responsibility in Ezekiel 33 and beginning in verse 1. This is our responsibility. Number one. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring a sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them and set him up for their watchmen, that would be you and I, when I see the sword come upon the land, he blows the ram's horn and warns the people. Then whoever hears the sound of the ram's horn and does not take the warning, if the sword does come and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. In other words, if we give a warning and people don't listen, it's their own responsibility. In verse 5, he heard, if he heard the sound of the ram's horn and did not take warning, his blood shall be on himself. But if he had taken the warning, he would have delivered his life. But what happens if we don't give a warning? Verse 6, 
But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the ram's horn, and the people are not warned, if the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But I will require his blood on the watchman's hand. Do we have a responsibility? Now, in many ways, speaking of the churches of God directly, he says, starting in verse 7, he says, And you, son of man, I have set you as a watchman to the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear the word from my mouth, and you will warn them from me. That's a responsibility that we're given. You will warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die if you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked one shall die in his iniquity. But I will require his blood at your hand. But if you warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. That's a pretty dire warning for for people that have given the responsibility of a watchman. And we have that. And like Amos, we as a church of God have the responsibility to teach the word of God and to warn of pending events. If the people refuse to keep God's commandments and they continue to sin, God has not given us this knowledge that we have to keep it to ourselves. We will be judged on how we keep this commission that we've been given. God, like any parent, corrects his children for their own benefit. I've been there, raised a lot of children. Not not always pleasant to correct your children, but it's required. Punishment is never pleasant, but it always serves a purpose. But like any parent, God's ultimate goal is to bless his children. Not to punish them, but to bless his children. And though the the prophet Amos has promised that there are better days ahead, Amos refers to these blessings, but they are intended for the latter days. And like most of the prophets, these events are intended for a period of time when Satan has been bound and Christ assumes his position as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We find these events in the ninth chapter of Amos. Now notice again in verse in verse 10 how God will not tolerate sin. He says, All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say, The evil shall not draw near or confront us. Let me read that again. The evil shall not draw near or confront us. However, once God has bound Satan and Christ has assumed his role, has assumed his role as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we shall see the blessings that God intends for mankind. In verse 11, we see the restoration of, of David's tabernacle. And in verses 13 through 15, we see the blessings of God that that he intends for Israel. Now, we often read these events 
obviously, at the Feast of Tabernacles because they are intended for the thousand-year period of time under the rule of Christ. Now, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to get into it. I, I would read verses 13 through 15, but I'm going to skip that for now because, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm on a little bit of time level here. Amos delivered a message to ancient Israel, but that message is to us as well today. It's for us as well today. Will we listen? Will we fulfill our role in keeping the word of God? Like Amos, will we as a watchman blow the ram's horn and warn the world of the sinful behavior and its results? These are warnings for us today, not just for ancient Israel. I hope we heed these warnings, but we have a responsibility We need to live up to them and fulfill the role that God has given us. I hope everybody has a wonderful Sabbath day.